And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology, here as your host for today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, digital marketing, entrepreneurship. Remember, this is a podcast by founders for founders, and so we have... um, we have another great startup here that I'm excited to introduce to you guys. But before we get started, shout out to our sponsor for making this show possible, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. First, I'd like to welcome my guest, John Grange. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we were just getting started, uh, you know, chatting a little bit before the show, as we usually do. And, um, you know, based out of Omaha, so I feel like you're a, a fellow Midwesterner, which I haven't talked to uh, as many as I'd like recently. So um, you're as miserable as I am in Kansas City here as we approach as we approach winter. I was going to say we're kind of all uh, collectively battening down the hatches for the upcoming weather, although I will say. I'm, I'm chatting with you here from uh, Omaha, about three hours north of you, and it's like 62 degrees out and sunny. And soak it up, yeah, soak it up. I had the door open. <laughs> it's like bipolar, and I think that's the problem: is that there is some greatness here. Uh, it just like goes up and down, like like mood, like your mood. So, um, you know, yeah, no, I think it's also why a lot of startups come out of the Midwest is because there's a certain uh, amount of time each year where we're not outside, we're not playing, we're indoors. We're like, you know, what can I do and be productive? What can I get done? So, um, you know, Ops Compass, as we know, is one of the top startups in Omaha. I'd like to let our listeners know that. So before we get into what that is, um, let's talk a little bit about your your early days. I love talking to entrepreneurs, like, you know, how they got into this. You've already shared with me several projects that you're working on or have worked on in the past, sorry, um, that kind of got you to where you are today. Let's start back there. You talked about a startup in college. Can yeah. I get some info? On? Yeah. So I'm a I'm essentially a career entrepreneur. I joke, but I'm also partly serious. Like my last like real job, like real air quotes job was at Blockbuster Video when I was like 17. So okay. it, it goes back a long ways. But no, I when I was in college, I was uh, you know, pretty independent. I was going to school, but really wanted to do anything but go to school and uh, got involved in a lot of different things. And um, one of the companies I got involved with and co-founded with a, a kid I knew from high school um, was a, a hosting company where we specialized um, in hosting and support for a content management system that ran on the Microsoft stack. So it was open source. It ran on Microsoft. It's like 2004. So you have Web 2.0 really blowing up and everybody's trying to build, you know, websites with rich media and add forums and they wanted to build e-commerce and all these different things. And we kind of rode a wave. I mean, we were, we were smart, but we were mostly lucky, which is kind of the best, that's the formula for successful entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. to be um, luckier than you are smart. And we we hit it at just the right time. Um, So that's kind of what launched my career um, as an entrepreneur, but also um, in the technical world. We, we grew to be a top five global ASP.NET host in the world. And um, 
had a lot of employees and more importantly, we had a lot of fun. That company is managed.com and it's owned by Deluxe Check now, but I mean, it feels like ages ago, but that's kind of how I got my start in, uh, in entrepreneurship. No, I love that. And as someone that, um, in a way has pioneered at least the Amazon agency space, I won't say Amazon selling, but the Amazon agency space, um, I know what it's like to be doing stuff early before everyone's caught on, you know, there's, there's some excitement, there's some what you could call luck to it, you know, picking the right thing, but also, um, it's some heavy lifting, it's really heavy lifting, um, all the education you have to do with everyone you talk to, you're just kind of getting them up to speed to where you are, because everything's moving so fast. And um, the market's not exactly there. And sure, it can be in the boom. But, you know, during that time, there's still like, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, and on the e-commerce side, I, I'm still experiencing that, you know, 10 years into this space where, you know, we're still talking to manufacturers and brands and, and customers that still don't completely understand e-commerce and understand how it all works. And um, so I, I commend your your success there. I have some questions on that. Um, one, were you raising like a, a business, you know, focused family, like, you know, t not wanting to do school and kind of wanting that entrepreneurship, do your own thing, that independence, was that something that, you know, you grew up in or was it just, were you kind of the oddball in the family? Tell me about some of that kind of early days. So we've, you know, we've got a lot of kind of business and entrepreneurship in my, you know, broader family, but like my immediate family, my parents, grandparents, everybody's a doctor except for me. Like my sister's a doctor, my dad's a doctor, my mom's a doctor, my grandpa's a doctor. Okay. Um, so, you know, lots of, lots of people who've thoroughly enjoyed going to school. I actually mm. enjoyed going to school quite a bit. I just didn't, you know, enjoy all the same things that, that sort of led to lots of academic success, I guess is the way I would categorize okay. it. So a lot of work ethic in the family, I would say a lot of like, you know, commitment and like, you know, you have a lot of those characteristics, but it was very much a safer route of like, go to school, get this career that will set you and your family up forever. I mean, that's kind of how I think about some of those careers. Like it's very, we know that it's hard. We know that it comes with a certain level of respect and dignity, which I think a lot of people want. Um, I was actually raised in a missionary family or a preacher's family. So I'm four generations of preachers. Uh, so obviously the path I went down was opposite what they did as well. Um, so I can, I can also relate to that, but, um, I just like to know kind of like what sets people on their path. I think some people know immediately that they want to be an entrepreneur. Like for me, I was just chasing freedom and, um, I wasn't great in school at the time. I just wasn't, I wasn't raised to be a test taker. So, um, you know, kind of found my own self learning, self teaching thing that worked so much better for me. And I just took the time I was spending. I am someone that got a degree in school and all that, but I was someone that spent all that extra time, maybe in academia, actually just figuring out how e-commerce worked and all that kind of stuff. So, okay, well, you didn't talk about an exit. You talked about a lot of employees. You talked about building it and having a lot of fun. Um, and so did you, was that like an exit and then you moved on to your next thing or, okay, can we talk yeah. about that a little bit? Because I personally am in, in the process of like learning, you know, how to buy and sell brands and things like that. So the exit process is a little interesting to me and, and how people get into the next thing. Yeah, so the the how we get into the next thing is kind of the more interesting part. Okay. Um, the exit was just one of those things where I had an opportunity. I really wanted to do something new. Part of my whole, I don't know if it's my problem. I don't know if it's like my secret to success, but I I get bored easy. So I always want to have a bunch of different things that I'm doing. And one of the things about having a company that really thrived in the gold rush that was Web 2.0 is well, when that starts to wane, 
you kind of start to see that things are going to a different place. So, you know, I noticed that our biggest customers weren't spending less money with us, but they were starting to spend a lot of money on social. Okay. And, you know, mobile was on the horizon. By 2007, you had the iPhone. And I kind of just completely lost interest, to be honest with you. And what we were doing, like, you know, and also your company gets big enough. You have a lot of people there. You have like employee handbooks and all those sorts of things. So that, none of that's really that fun. Um, so, you know, I had an opportunity to uh, exit the business before my partner did. And um, I ended up uh, I ended up taking it. And our, uh, you know, our company was obviously a hosting company. We ended up with the data, data center presence in, you know, the United States and the United Kingdom and Australia. Um, uh, so we worked with a data center provider and I had become close with the founder of that company. He was on our advisory board. He helped me, he'd get on planes and help me close deals. Cause I was like 23 years old mm -hmm. and you know, you'd need kind of somebody with some gray hair and a suit to help you get something done. And he exited his company at around the same time. And we started an investment group where okay. we essentially kind of funded ideas that I had. So we started off with a, um, a mobile marketing toolkit where we built kind of a SaaS platform where you could mobile enable things like campaigns, education, um, things like that. Okay. Um, I, when I look back though, I wish I would have like taken more time to like chill out. I took like six months, went to Hawaii with my wife and we had a little baby at the time who's now a big 12 year old, um, almost 13 year old. But I, I look back, I wish I would have just chilled a little bit, but I was just kind of obsessed with doing something new and doing something different kind of like yeah. I always have. And in the space we're in, it moves super fast. And I do feel like that kind of, um, as a tech entrepreneur, whatever you want to call that, like where I'm in this in between in e-commerce, cause I'm like working with tech all the time, but I'm not necessarily like a tech startup, but you know, I'm developing tech with these partners even, but it's like the speed of it is just so fast that I think it kind of creates that urgency, even though no one's like creating that for you or saying it, it's just like you know, it's moving fast. That's why you had an opportunity the first time you jumped on it. Like, what about the next one? Okay, I need to come out with the next thing, next thing, you know, what's the next innovation. Um, and I think that uh, I'm, I'm with you on that even thinking about just like, what would that next idea be? When does creativity come to me in the best way? Because uh, I'm someone that's just always got ideas, I have to filter them, you know. Um, so you're just like taking a chance at um, one, my, you know, end goal is definitely to be an eye and, and get to pick projects and, you know, hopefully make projects successful and be a part of them or start them in the future. Um, but you just had this like mentor that had seen you be successful with this other company, if I can say that right. And, and the word mentor, and he's willing to just take a chance on some of your ideas and try some of these startups. Yeah. And I mean, he's still, uh, he was, uh, CEO of Ops Compass up until just a, a few weeks ago. He's just recently retired. Uh, okay. Cavedo, all the uh, wishing him well, trying to retire, and because he's a little bit like me, he always likes to move on to the next thing. But yeah, we were uh, partners in creating things and funding things and building things for about ten years. I love that. I love that. Okay, so um, let's talk Ops Compass. Um, first of all, like let's give the elevator pitch of Ops Compass. Sure. So Ops Compass is a cloud intelligence platform. And what that basically means is, um, or a, a piece of SaaS software that you can connect up to your clouds. And we give you lots of information about the, the assets you have in the cloud, how they're configured, how they're changing. Are they secure? Are you doing things that increase your costs? Um, what's the context of this app? What's it related to? Um, so kind of a full suite of uh, contextual intelligence about 
all your cloud assets and resources. No, um, I think I think that's amazing. Number one, I've never heard of it uh, personally, but that doesn't mean anything. And I'm about to check it out even more after we get off this call. Like I, I wanted to tell a story. I kind of was alluding to it um, when we first introed before we started. And um, it was maybe, you know, entrepreneurship is hard as hell, let's be honest. And it was like year, uh, Marknology turned seven in August, but really the first few years was just like me and one other person, right? So we didn't really start like scaling and becoming an agency probably till like four years ago. Um, but in those early years, you know, almost all of my work is done by uh, email correspondence. You know, I'm a cons I was a consultant in those days, like telling people how to sell, like, you know, what to do on their Amazon accounts. So a lot of my communication happened through email. Um, I had Dropbox, so I was putting like a lot of my proposals that might be in Word docs or PDFs or images and things like that in the cloud. Um, so I'm not like, I was not a video creator where I had, um, you know, these big files or all of this crazy data. Like honestly, your normal laptop could hold most of what I was creating or, or doing. Um, you know, I didn't need all these external hard drives and stuff, uh, even though I knew better. You know, I went to school for computer science and uh, security and networking. Okay. I just didn't believe that what I learned in those days was like what I needed for what I'm doing. I'm not holding credit card information. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. Um, why would even someone want to hack me? That kind of thing, you know? And so, well, long story short, um, I was kind of ransomwared. Uh, and it went through, it was like an email from a client that I talked to every single day. So it was like, I was expecting an email from her, uh, opened it up and it was ransomware, corrupted all my files, it corrupted, um, you know, it was, it was one targeting PDFs and images and word docs and stuff like that. So, um, I contacted the FBI, uh, they weren't much use cause they were ransoming it, you know? So I was like, maybe it's a digital crime and they'll get involved. They told you um, to get in line. They didn't even respond. So, so many people get ransomware. It's this was this was years ago too. Not that that matters, but you know, I think that everything accelerates faster and faster and sure. faster now. But um, this is maybe you know five years ago or so. But to me, it was like, I mean, I was already busy and working my ass off, and to have everything that I like had ever made or created since I started the business corrupted and unable to get it back. Like I. I was just kind of devastated. Uh, and I also had some, like my mom was in the hospital at the time. I was trying to run a trade show with a startup I was starting called Landlocked, which is my apparel company. And so I was doing a holiday booth and it was just like a perfect storm. Um, and end of the day, I didn't get it back. I didn't pay the ransom. No one would help me. I contacted like the best, um, you know, kind of like ransom people that could get it back. And, and I just had to start over. I went back through my emails. What happened was... Um, you know, they not only got into my computer, but got into my drives, my shared drives and Dropbox and things like that and corrupted everything. And it was a real learning lesson for me. Um, I just like what is possible and, and how bad it can be. And imagine, you know, if I had a different a little business shaped a little bit different way or like had more, you know, sensitive information, clients information. These were just my pitches and my proposals and my slideshows and stuff like that. So I just got back to work and, and rebuilt them one by one. Um, but it was a devastating moment for me and one that taught me a, a lesson for sure about our security going forward. You know, we um, so one is like, you know, a shared drive like um, in the cloud is not necessarily safe. You know, that was something that I, I assumed was true and it wasn't. Can you speak to some of that? Like to maybe anyone that's listening, that's kind of at the one on one level like I was just um, 
you know, how, how the cloud can be vulnerable? Yeah. I mean, the, the cloud is, is one, it's, it's definitely more secure than kind of our previous models of it. Yeah. And the security that you got from kind of previous models was mostly kind of obscurity, security by obscurity. It's, and, um, with the cloud, you have a lot of configurability over your cloud resources. There's lots of things you can do with them. You can lock them down really tightly and in good ways, and you can also open them up and connect them up to other things uh, because we have a very open and collaborative technology world. Um, so one of the things, and, and this kind of goes back to Ops Compass a little bit, my goal with, with Ops Compass, the problem I was trying to solve was misconfigurations. And it just so happens that in the whole space of misconfigurations, all the you know things you can do to configure things wrong in the cloud, the ones that people care the most about are security. That's the slice of them that are security uh, misconfigurations. But there's all sorts of other things where you could accidentally configure something in a way that costs you a lot of money um, or things of that nature. So you know we actually set out to tackle this problem, talking about how things have changed. Um, and also earlier we were talking about when you have to teach customers about the problem you're solving for them. I mean, that's how Ops Compass was. When 2016, when I built the MVP of the product, like we were basically going in and doing cloud 101. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is, is today we're not doing any cloud 101. We're not talking to anybody that's a cloud hater. And one of the biggest reasons why is the ransomware epidemic. Everybody's mm. company has... It, it, it seemingly everybody's company has had some experience with it. Individuals, the stories like, like yourself. Um, I can't tell you how many local municipalities I've worked with that got ransomware. And I mean, we have, we're in a place now in this world, not just our, our country here in the United States where regular, you know, mid market organizations are keeping Bitcoin holdings, not as a hedge against inflation, but actually so that they can readily pay ransoms on, wow. on, ransomware. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a big problem. I think that, uh, it's kind of partially technology to help people figure it out better tools and things like that. And it's also kind of just education. All of this has happened really fast. You and I are young enough to be into all this technology, but we're probably both old enough that we remember maybe even like rotary phones, like back yep. at like grandma's house when you're a kid. So like, I think we're still in the early days of people really understanding you know, the risks of, of having things be online and interacting with cloud services. Just think about how much smarter the average person is now browsing the internet versus, you know, even 10 years ago when malware would routinely get infected in your computer because you'd clicked on um, dumb links. Um, I mean, now we're clicking on dumb links, but they're a lot smarter. I mean, these are sophisticated phishing schemes and sophisticated schemes where the attacker knows people who you might expect emails from and, um, goes yeah, after like it was coming yeah it was coming from someone i talked to every day you know it wasn't like a weird you know url that like i didn't recognize and like you know i have an eye for it i've been in this space i've been messing with computers since i was seven years old i definitely can spot like you know spam and without even the software it's just you can almost tell it but this was one that was sophisticated enough to get by me and i'm busy and i'm running and it's you know it's never when you're like Oh, I think this might be, let me investigate this phone number. No, it's definitely like when you're not paying attention or like something's going on and you're just moving fast that I think a lot of those things happen. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've uh, been online since like the mid nineties and definitely was sort of immersed in like hacker culture and stuff back in those days. And the other thing 
that I think, and it's probably debatable, but I don't think things are a whole lot worse than they were. I just think that like everybody's online and everything's connected to the internet. Yeah. So people are getting informed more as well. Yeah, And we still have the same dynamic of the security mitigations are always a little bit behind the attacks. Yep. We talked about, I have a best friend here in Casey that uh, is the, um, he's in charge of app security. Uh, so application security at Children's Mercy, and it's a new department. Um, you know, he's building a team there, and it's something that you know, even obviously our hospitals have they have a big security department, but one specific for applications. And um, you know, just been talking talking with him through that as he's been you know brought on there to kind of do that, and so seeing where they're at and how's a big company like a, a major hospital thinking about security, and you know what are they're solving problems that I have yet to get to and things like that. I might not ever, um, but really just understanding when you talk to someone that's extremely passionate about security and I'm an entrepreneur that kind of throws fear to the wind, right? Like I'm like, uh, in a way that's just like, we got to test, we got to try things. I'm like the, um, the researcher, I'm like the scientist kind of thing, pushing innovation. It's the, it's the security guy saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't have open source in the hospital, you know, that those kinds of things. And I think it can be, um, you know, it can be like dueling personalities within a company in that way. But like something that just talking with him through a lot of what the conversations he's having there, and I'm bringing this up to make this point. Um, it's really opened my eyes. I've just needed time. I've needed time of like someone helping me understand, um, you know, really technology where it's at now. I just think of the benefits, you know, I think of e-commerce and I think about selling and I think sales, I'm more of like a sales guy on the e-commerce side, you know, versus that. And, um, it's been something that, you know, I'm honestly trying to get to some of these like hackathons and, and things that he goes to that are just like meetups around KC to just, you know, learn more and, and understand, you know, as my team's growing, we've, we've almost, we've doubled the last couple of years. And so my vulnerability is, you know, exponentially way higher as we, as we grow the team and we're getting international. We're in, we're in India and we're in Colombia. Um, in KC, it's not just like, you know, a few of us in a, in an office anymore where I'm just really making us have a secure uh, network, you know? So really it becomes cloud now at this level. And thankfully that Amazon has some of that already built in place. Cause a lot of the work we do is in Amazon, they have OTP authentication and all of that, but everything outside of that is something that we have to solve for and really understanding, you know, I, I was starting to talk with Matt and I almost, uh, that's his name. And I started getting overwhelmed just thinking about, okay, we're using like probably 16 different softwares that are plugging in here. We have Zapier, we have automation, we have, you know, all this kind of stuff going. And I have no idea. It was almost like I needed to not think about it or I was going to stress, stress the hell out. <laughs> um, you know, but is OpsCompass something that kind of is a starting point for people that are trying to understand everything that's touching everything or like how, how is it? In regards to if you're a company like mine that's at the beginner stage of really trying to think about secure cloud security and these kinds of things, is it something that's more fitted for that type of business or is it more of like the advanced level? Um, it's probably more of a, you know, our, our typical customer is probably more like the children's hospital. Okay. Because um, one of the challenges that they have is that they're probably also going through what all companies are going through right now as well, which is sort of digital modernization. And a lot of that involves cloud, cloud adoption. So at the same time, you're sort of changing the paradigm by which you sort of approach technology and IT. You also have this emerging sort of security risk um, that comes along with it. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. 
um, when you're something came to my mind earlier when when you were talking. You know, the um, it used to be that the that the tough person to convince of anything and the sort of curmudgeon that always said no was the CFO in a company. You know, the CF no, and now it's the it's the CISO. It's the person in charge of security is the one. The, C, mm-hmm. the CFO is like, how quickly can we get to the cloud and I can shut down these data centers and uh, you know, turn that CapEx into OpEx. And it's the CISOs that are like, no, we've got to slow down. We have to wrap our arms around this. Like you guys don't understand the risks here. So that's the, well said. That's very well said and well framed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think on the e-commerce side, I'm definitely speaking to their, their CFO or their accountant or bookkeeper. That's definitely the one I know is having out, uh, um, objections behind the scenes when I'm talking about moving to a, a new type of selling or new model. Um, a lot of those companies don't have a CISO, you know, at least at that level or the ones I'm talking to in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, super interesting thought. Like um, where, where's, where's Ops Compass going next as you guys like, you know, obviously continue to grow top startup in Omaha. I'll say that again, because it's not an easy feat. Um, you know, what's next for you guys as you continue to grow? You know, we've, uh, we've had a good, really good last couple of years. We went from, we raised a, a seed round um, with investors from, all over the region, you know, kind of in late 2019. And then in 2020, we, uh, um, you know, we acquired a services company that gave us a number of engineers and uh, some, uh, some partnership status with Amazon Web Services and things like that. And we also raised a Series A led by Elsewhere Ventures down in Austin, Texas at that time. And then COVID happened. So we're sort of coming out of that with our, our new strategy. And one of the things for us is, Ops Compass has always been kind of broad based, like we're going to give you visibility and intelligence into your cloud platforms. And this, uh, the company we bought, House of Brick, is an absolute database data workload expert, one of AWS's top partners. Okay. And we've sort of positioned them as, as our solutions arm. Ops Compass is the product. And what's next for us is kind of taking our philosophy of we're all about helping you uh, again, gain that visibility, understand the state of your environment and how it's changing and what it means and bringing that kind of deeper into data workloads because these big companies that are moving to cloud, the easy stuff to move to cloud is kind of simple applications and things like that. The really authority things are, hey, we have this data warehouse that runs our business. You know, we'd love to get this up to AWS or we'd love to get this up to Azure. So, you know, turning a lot of that, we've spent the last year kind of hunkered down because of COVID, turning a lot of that intellectual property that we were delivering with consultants through the company we acquired. And we've taken that and turned it into software functionality. So, you know, kind of going, we went wide initially and now kind of getting a little bit more specific to a a particular cloud uh, scenario is, is what's next for us. We've, we've always been really aggressive, even before our seed round, like we bought a software consulting company so that we could just come rip roaring into the software space with like a development team and engineers. So we've always, because my partner Manny and I have, we've kind of done it, we've done it before and kind of have some experience and some connections and, and, you know, some luck. We kind of didn't take the traditional startup path. Like we, you know, very few people are acquiring companies before they raise a seed round, but we kind of very aggressively, wanted to build something and we wanted to build something substantial in Omaha. We didn't want to move to Austin. We didn't want yeah. to move to another place. And it's not even because we're romantic about Omaha. It's just because we're kind of stubborn and we're like, Hey, like there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to build whatever type of company we want, like right here. 
Yeah, I love that. And if you can't acquire um, developers, FullScale.io is your go-to. FullScale.io. I, I talk to you guys. I talked to I talked to FullScale uh, way back when. Um, all that stuff is really tough. It turns out it's actually you know when you don't have uh, all of the operating capital, you can do a lot with your uh, uh, startup stock and creative financing when you're pre-Series uh, A. True. Very true. Uh, <laughs> and like as someone that. I don't know if you know anything about the aggregator space that's happening around e-commerce. It's kind of just like big news. But basically, in the last two years, about 70 aggregators have raised $25 billion or so um, into the e and put it into the e-commerce Amazon space specifically. And so it's, it's leveling up softwares. It's leveling up agencies. It's, you know, it's doing all kinds of things to our space that was really kind of a still a small wild west space. And it's bringing kind of professionalism and, and scale to it really fast. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of companies that are raising funds and there's some that aren't. And, uh, you know, we're bootstrapped here. Uh, it's my first one. We'll see about the second or third one if I decide to do it all again on my own capital. But, um, you know, it's something very interesting to see and like definitely a lot more flexibility before those rounds is what I see, you know. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, I, mean, I think that's the main difference. money and there's reasons to bootstrap. But I mean, to me, like, you raise money if it's something that you really, really believe is going to be like a hundred million dollar plus type thing. Cause it's just, you're going to have to get so lucky to build the velocity on your own to get there. Like, and by lucky, I just mean like the right timing and being able to get the right people and stuff like that. Not that you can't, but that's hard. So to me, the VC route is all about that velocity. It's speed. Yeah. So for us, like if you're going to build a cloud, you know, management security product in the middle of the country. So not Silicon Valley, not with a bunch of X people from Adobe or whatever. You, you gotta, you gotta have the the capital to really move quickly, or else you're gonna kind of get your your lunch eaten. Yeah, or start way way too early that you struggle for years to get to get going uh, because you were so early, and then you hit well, the ground running we, when we it's game time. Did that too. I mean, we were like 20, 2016 convincing. Well, trying to find enough companies that cared that were both in the cloud and cared about security was was very difficult. Yeah, um, I think we're in a fear culture. If anything about the pandemic, you know, it's fear, fear, fear. Um, if I can say that as politically as less politically as possible, um, and security is a kind of uh, you know you can sell it as like this is what could happen to you if you don't, but it could also be like you know these are all the things it saves you from. It can have a pro kind of selling angle as well, and all the things it can do for you. Oh my god, look how we can be more efficient. Look how you know if you're selling that type of stuff, um, it's one or the other. And I think that you know the pandemic for us in e-commerce made everybody buy online something: food, groceries, Postmates, like you know presents. It was something that got everybody online buying something from their phone or their computer when before there was probably a, a lot of people that just resisted doing that. Now they're all in there, um, you know, and the, these things that can happen in the, in the like in the world can change things pretty quickly depending on what we're doing. And so for me, at the beginning, it used to be um, Amazon's a great channel. Then it became you all know that now just who are you going to choose to partner with or how are you going to do it? Okay. Then as all these companies are coming to Amazon, very much like yourself, it became, okay, how do we niche down? What kind of companies are we looking for? Manufacturers, manufacturers going from brick and mortar to, to e-commerce people that are already in e-commerce need extra hands. Like, you know, what are you solving for in that way? And I think that, you know, fear along with just necessity, um, 
can really push markets. And I think that as as more and more and more stories come out of, you know, the thing with security is that whenever there's vulnerabilities, the bigger the company is, no one talks about it because obviously it's like something that, you know, a security breach or a vulnerability. Um, and so just because it's not being talked about or shown out there all the time, I think that's what I'm learning is that just because it's not screaming in my face, hey, pay attention to us. You need to like, you know, you need to spend here to protect yourself long run. It is something that's very much like happening to people all the time. Uh, like like you were kind of talking about earlier with like the local uh, municipalities, like literally having crypto or, or whatever in order to pay off these ransomwares. I think that that's how relevant it is like that kind of just like blew my mind when you said that um i would have never guessed but it makes so much sense that um they have you know that type of information just has to be in lockdown you know matt decorsey is in my building as well matt watson matt decorsey uh in our office building and um their physical their physical security just for the information that they hold at full scale and things like that you know they just have to be very um they have to be very security conscious um and so, you know, just talking around my Matt Children's Mercy and my Matt at FullScale.io really has just like really got my brain going as I've looked to, you know, we were setting up routers in the building, we were setting up mesh in the building, and we were doing all these kinds of things and having those convos. Um, I'm just saying this for anyone listening to really understand that just because it's not being pressed maybe by your team, that this is something that you guys need to invest into, or this is something that you need to be pushing for. It's something that I personally believe is, is very, very important and, and it should have been done yesterday. We, uh, everybody needs to have their own council of mats to make sure that they're properly. Exactly. It's just security. convenient that I have three mats I'm talking <laughs> about, but um... even with these, with these big, you know, fortune 300 fortune 500 companies, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, maybe you would because it is somewhat, it's kind of human nature, but they don't want to, you know, we were getting a lot of no's that were basically, yeah, we love this and we know we're going to need it, but we're going to buy something like this after we get, I know then it's like, I know it sounds bad, but like, you know, if we buy a tool and then we get, and then we get, you know, hacked or we get owned, like then it, it becomes a problem. So there is yeah. also this dynamic in business where, um, the biggest driver of somebody making a decision to make a major change is that it already happened to them. And when it hasn't happened yet, there's just not that impetus. Nobody wants to put their neck out there. And I honestly just think that everybody knows that you're going to kind of get a mulligan the first time or the second time, even because it's just so bad out there and you can kind of wait to make that decision, wait to create the budget, that sort of thing. Yeah. I can't imagine what that something like that disaster control like expense would be at a hospital. You know, uh, I'm sure that's they get hit bad. You know, I mentioned municipalities and hospitals are there, too. And the reason why they get hit is just because they run notoriously old stuff, um, particularly the legacy state and local software. Governments. And stuff. Yeah, the state and local governments have like very minimal IT kind of staff, a lot of old software, old systems. So they're just ripe for somebody to own these things. In the cloud, you can definitely get ransomware in the cloud, but when you, companies that have a lot more kind of going on, they're maybe running serverless applications and all these things that aren't necessarily the same as just you having big SAN storage, you know, boxes sitting in the data center that are just waiting for somebody to, you know, come in through a phishing attack and um, encrypt all of the data and throw away the key. Yeah, I like to relate it to kind of just like that, 
thing that was passed on, at least from my parents, that was like, you know, you got to keep the honest man honest, like roll up your windows and lock your doors when you go into the grocery store. You know, uh, being here in the Midwest, like growing up in Liberty, like we used to leave our our doors unlocked in our neighborhood and stuff like that. It was a safe spot. And um, but that that thinking that you got to keep the honest man honest, like, you know, these companies with this older hardware and older software are essentially just like ripe for the picking. Um, if you're looking to be like, okay, like a young hacker or whoever, that's like, Hey, who's vulnerable. It's the same thing as like, you know, the scams happening to the older generation where they come in and sell them a driveway or like, you know, they're just scamming them on all that kind of stuff. It happened Reverse to my grandpa. Bridges. Yeah. It happened to my grandpa a couple months ago. They just like, you know, they robbed him of $1,500 or something, scammed him out. And, um, I think as a company, I'm a young company and and still vulnerable and don't have a bunch of old systems and things like that. And it can still happen. So, um, yep. you know, same like, with us. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it can happen to anybody and, um, yeah, I could harp on it all day, but let's, let's wrap up here. I would love like, you know, if you could give like two pieces of information, two bits, two nuggets, um, to anyone listening here, that's just beginning this journey for them or their company that's interested in security. That's kind of like, you know, we've piped their interest today. Um, you know, what's an area that you would have them like begin to, to investigate or, um, and then let's wrap up with, with where they can find you and where they can contact you. Okay, cool. Like, you know, if you're, if you're just kind of getting started and you're into security, I would, learn a lot about cloud and security. A great way to do that is to, you know, the big cloud providers all have their training platforms, learn a lot about how AWS works, learn a lot about how Azure GCP work. They'll have whole selections on securing those systems. Um, and then from there, once you know about cloud, there's lots of other resources and certifications around security where you learn some of the basics. But what I'm seeing out there is it's not... Traditional security, cybersecurity specialists are as in demand or more in demand than ever. So I'm not saying that they aren't in demand, but what I am seeing a lot of is people who really understand how cloud works are coming in, getting roles, and they're playing the role of like DevOps security, kind of cloud security, because at the end of the day, so much of cloud security is about getting the configurations right. You okay. don't necessarily control an operating system that you can go install antivirus on. The way that you can secure it is by making it so the right people have access to it. You've closed any port access, yep. things like that. Um, so these people who really understand the right way to do cloud and configure it kind of end up becoming very in-demand uh, cloud and DevOps specialists. I'm hesitating to use the word DevSecOps because it's just, it's pretty buzzwordy for this cool conversation we're having. <laughs> yeah, I got to bring, I got to, my best buddy, I'm always like, bro, I, I live this kind of like tech and you're still just over my head with some of this. Can you break it down for me? So, um, yeah, I think the positions honestly around security and cybersecurity are still being created every single year. Like, you know, new specific roles, new niches, new dial downs into yeah, what, create you know, your own job, you know, create your own, create your own role, your own niche by having, you know, expertise that people really need right now, which is how do we get our cloud stuff right. Um, and that's always been really my thing. I'm a, I've always been a big, like, I like to try out lots of things that I'm interested in and trying to find those places where you can learn some expertise that gives you a little bit of an edge. And I think right now, just the thing, the shift that's going on in technology, um, even if you're not into security per se, and you're just into um, application development and general technology and innovation and things like that, I think that it's a great place to start. 
I love that. And then lastly, um, you know, for anyone listening that's looking to get in, in contact with you, maybe for seeing if you're a good fit for their business or their their industry, um, what's the best spot to reach you? Sure. Well, um, first off, go out to OpsCompass.com. Check it out. Um, you can sign up on OpsCompass for a free trial. You don't need a credit card or anything. You can you can uh, get it set up and connect it to your cloud environments in, in really like 10 minutes. Okay. Um, I love feedback too. So you can reach out to me individually. I'm on Twitter at JM Grange. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, John Grange. Uh, you can fill out any of those forms and say somebody point me in the direction of John G and uh, somebody will connect us. But I, whenever I'm on podcasts, I'm like, please go out, do a free trial. Tell me what you like or hate about our product. We love getting feedback. Um, also, I've, I, do, I get cold. Um, people will just cold reach out that will hear me on a podcast and like, I'll just like set up, we'll do like virtual coffee or something. I like meeting, uh, I like meeting people kind of helping folks out where I can finding an excuse not to do real work, you know, all those sorts of things. That's why I love Midwesterners. I'll be honest. I love that. <laughs> uh, you guys heard it and I'm going to have all the links to, to everything he said down in the show notes. Um, for anyone that's driving or wants to look this up later and kind of find a, the best way to reach John. John, thanks again for being on the show. And once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Full Scale, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Find them on Instagram at Startup Hustle Podcast or check out our YouTube content. John, thanks for being on the show. Hustlers, we'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.